welcome aboard, ladies and gentlemen. This is Nick. And Janelle. We hope you all are having a wonderful time. Uh, we had a good time over the weekend. Um, we went up to visit your folks. We did. And uh, It was know, very eventful. I'm going to put these back on just because it's weird not hearing my voice. I don't know why. It just lets me know if there's something going on. I'm sorry. I'm putting my headphones on. All right. Now, now I'm good. Um, so we ended up going up to see your folks. And we got to go to um, Sweetwater. Mm-hmm. That was, for those of you that don't know, Sweetwater is a music store. Um, Pretty sure it's his happy place. It is. It is. It's up in Fort Wayne. It was actually really easy to get there. Is that highway or interstate? Is that, is that an interstate or like a state highway? Is I don't know if 69 is like a... It's an, I, it just goes the length of Indiana. Okay. So an interstate. So it was Route 69, if that's what it's called. And we hopped on there from around Daleville and uh, traveled all the way up to... Uh, it's pretty much a straight shot. You go up to Fort Wayne, uh, get off the exit, make a right, drive down about a maybe a mile, make a left, and there's Sweetwater. Um, and the reason I was going is I was looking for a guitar. Uh, a, uh, I wanted a Fender Strat. I wanted to go up there and actually, you know, hands-on look at them. And uh, went and there was one I was eyeballing. It was a black one with a black faceplate. They were sold out, but they had a demo. Um, and I'd seen the demo for sale, and they still had it. Um, the guy was nice enough. I mean, you go in this room, and it's just chock full of guitars, but they can't possibly have everything from the warehouse in there. The only issue being in there is it's never quiet when you're looking at these guitars. And you've got these uh, young kids who their, their groove is death metal. I mean, if death metal's your thing, okay. You know, heavy metal's your thing, okay. Uh, but um, they're, they're in there, and it's almost like two dogs trying to pee on a hydrant, and, and who can do it better? Uh, because the one kid is, uh, he is trying to rip a solo and then the other kid is sitting about, you know, eight feet away from him with his back to him. And it's like, oh yeah, man, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I can do better than that. And it's just, it just sounded like, um, diarrhea. <laughs> it was so bad. And, uh, so I, the it guy, was pretty awful. it was bad. And, and the guy brought a, uh, he brought, uh, I found the guitar. He brought it out to me from the warehouse. It took about 10 minutes. It wasn't any, wasn't any big deal. And, uh, I liked it. Um, and what was so cool about it is because it was a demo, um, it was, uh, okay, the guitar was fourteen forty nine new. The demo had $100 knocked, had 150 knocked off. Okay. And the guy, he's like, so where are y'all from? I was like, well, Southern Ohio. And he's like, oh, wow. And so while we're buying this, he's like, well, you know what? Yeah, here, this helps with gas money. And he knocked another 75 off the price. And uh, so I ended up paying about 12 something for that guitar, and it was a demo. Literally, the guitar looked brand spanking new. Even had the wrap on the scratch plate mm-hmm. as you play it. It's like a, like a saran wrap kind of material. But the only issue was it had a little impact mark. Where Imagine, if you will, you have the guitar around your neck and you're playing it. The very bottom part of the guitar on the edge you can't even see it on the face of the guitar. It's on the edge, hmm. like the, the border of the guitar. There was a little place where like, they had dinged it into something. It hadn't removed paint, but it had pushed the wood in. And I was like, you know, nobody's ever going to see that. And the guy even told me, he's like, honestly, he said some of these demos, he said, we, we call them demos. He said, but really, there's, there's if anything, like there's hardly anything wrong with them. Um, so anyway, I felt pretty good that I got a USA-made Fender hmm. and... Um, He's you very know excited about this guy. Yeah, and and uh, some of you that may be more into the music scene, maybe maybe you know what a Plex machine is, and basically it's this machine that they'll take. You can take your guitar and they'll put it on there, and a laser and a sensor will analyze it, and it'll go through and look at the frets. And the frets are the little silver pieces of metal that go across the neck of the guitar. And by putting your fingers in different locations on the neck, you can get different notes. And some of those frets will not always be perfectly level. And so what this machine will do is it'll go through and it will locate these uh, high and low spots and it'll even everything out and actually put a crown on the frets. So that way when you play or you solo, do single notes and stuff like that, or even chords, it's super easy to do. And it polishes the frets up. So I asked them to do that. Um, I bought some locking tuners uh, to put on there as well from Fender. Um, and this is kind of a side thing. 
honestly, the whole concept of USA made when it comes to a guitar, in some cases, I don't even think is really relevant because I was watching a video, this guy was talking and found out, you know, I knew about, I knew about the location, but I didn't know to the extent of how there was such an interchanging of materials between the two, but the Mexican and American fender factories, I want to say are around seven miles apart, <laughs> something like that. So like basically the over the border. And evidently they will actually take bodies from guitars and ship them back and forth. They'll, they'll, <laughs> and you said from guitars. Yeah, they'll, they'll sand them in Mexico, paint them in USA or vice versa. They'll, um, exchange hardware the, the same hardware is used in a lot of cases um, I mean for Pete's sake the locking tuners right here that I bought these guys uh, like this is for a fender strat I flip them over and it says made in Taiwan you know so it's like at what point do you actually say this what makes a guitar made in USA the fact that the person in USA puts four screws in the neck to hold it or the person in Mexico puts four screws in the neck to hold it um, so and I think one thing that they do that they do to differentiate is the fact of the pickups, which the pickups are the little rectangular looking objects in the body of the guitar that have the little um, magnetic posts that pick up the resonance from the strings and convert that to a musical sound. And some of those are wound, like they actually, if you pull them out, they're wound with copper and that's how the tone is created through the electrical magnetic mystery. But anyway, <laughs> um, so those are sometimes, uh, they're wound in Mexico, they're wound in the USA, and so I think that that's also what kind of helps differentiate the two. Um, but anyway, um, I think next time, I probably won't let Mexico be as big of a factor when it comes to looking at a strap, because from what I've seen, there are some pretty nice guitars coming out of there. I mean, for Pete's sake, if you buy a Japanese made Fender, I mean, the quality is the same, if not better, than an American-made strap, just because of the high-quality standards the Japanese hold themselves to. Anyway. You can get free online lessons. I mean, there you go. So uh, anyway, it was a lot of fun. Loved it. Uh, came home, and uh, we went to a hibachi grill that night. That was interesting. The dude chucked a piece of <laughs> broccoli at me, and I completely missed. I don't think any of us got it except for your mom or your dad. I, none of us did. Somebody caught One it. One of the girls that was sitting... Because if you go to Habat, like a true hibachi, mm -hmm. you're sitting around, like there's a lot of people sitting around one grill. Well, I thought and your so mom caught two. it. Maybe mom done it. I thought she did. did. I don't know. I could be giving her credit for something she didn't do, but maybe she just let her run with that. I felt you know? like she didn't catch it with her mouth and she caught it with... <laughs> Somebody did. I didn't. I did not. It hit me in the nose and he wasn't Bonk. super good and he didn't let you know it was coming, so... He came in there with... They told us, the lady, so what they do is they're like, oh, you're going to have chef so-and-so. He's actually the owner's uh, father. Um, he's not really one for interacting with everybody, but his food is amazing. And when he came in there, it was just like, hi, how are you? I'm just here. Have fun. It was just really, which I was kind of tired. And I'm like, I don't feel like having to be chitty chatty, laughy all over the place with a chef. Just make my food for me. And I'm fine to watch <laughs> it. Although I'll say when he poured that stuff on there and he lit it and it caught fire, a big plume of flame. Went really up. Fun. Yeah. I was like, Oh, that's kind of hot. <laughs> um, anyway. So what happened was, um, Sunday we go to church, we're on our way home. Um, and the dogs have been a pain that day. They're just Sunday a, a, was a big mud puddle was involved. Sunday was rough, but you got to back up to the whole, um, Mika finally got her Karen put in its place. Oh, I forgot for about that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. So let me tell you something. You have dogs out there. Um, if you have dogs that you, that you get, um, you're going to have, if, especially if you have multiple dogs, um, somebody's going to be alpha and there will be a pecking order. It just, it, it's nature. It's what happens. Um, so we had gotten Kaiser and Mika from the same breeder. And they're, they're brother and sister. And, Litter mates. Yes. All and, the things. And Kaiser is alpha, but Mika is always trying to be alpha. She wants to be alpha. So she does all the different dog things. When she was a puppy um, and he was a puppy, she had more, I'll call it battle experience, because she was with that breeder for an extra five weeks, and she had to live with four other full-grown German Shepherds. Mm -hmm. So she roughhoused all this stuff. Kaiser didn't do that. So Mika shows up, and she just totally whoops Kaiser. And she even laid him on the ground and pinned him down and, like, humped the daylights out of the <laughs> poor guy, starting from the tail, his tail, all the way to his face. It looked like a B-17 bomber doing, like, a World War II bombing strafe. It was just like, boom, 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 boom. And he's laying on the ground, he's like, <laughs> And he's so mad about it, and there's nothing he can do. She overpowers him, like, I'm your boss. That's what she was trying to do. He gets older, he's bigger, he's stronger, doesn't work like that anymore. 
So they had kind of been bickering a little bit. Like he acts like he could have, he couldn't have a care in the world. And it frustrates her because she'll walk up to him and she tries to assert dominance in all the ways that dogs do. She'll walk up next to him and she'll go, um, um, just a low kind of a growl. It's like, Karen, quit it. You know, it's kind of what we say. She's actually responding to Karen yeah, it's now. so bad. We're calling it Karen. And uh, she will take her head and she'll slowly try to lay it across his back, which is a sign of, I'm boss, I'm dominant, I'm alpha. And he'll be like, huh? What are you doing back there? And he'll start to turn around and she'll pull her head away like, oh, I wasn't doing anything. Nothing going on here. Nothing to see. So this has been going on for a while. Last time we were at, mommy, at your mom and dad's, there was a little bit of a spat between the two of them. Mm-hmm. This time. It was a big old spat. It, it, was, it was finished, at least for now. Um, so I tried to remember what was happening exactly, but you were trying to put the uh, collar on him. and The collars were already on. Like, I don't. You were trying to do something with the collar. You were because maybe. they were running around and we were afraid that like they were going to run up to the fence and, um, they, maybe they would uh, get too involved with the dog next door was our dogs are to- they're totally fine with other dogs. It was just no the issues. mud that was out there because yeah, it was really wet. And, uh, you were trying to adjust the collar on him. And whenever you try to, whenever we try to correct Kaiser, Mika will immediately add sauce to the, to the food. Like she'll immediately go, yeah, that, what, what they said. And, and I'm going to add some to it. And she like tries to help enforce the law. And it's like, we don't need your help, sheriff. We are the ones in charge. Go mind your own beeswax. It's like, put your Karen away. Yeah. And, and, but she'll, she'll try to pile on top of it to like egg it on. Like, oh yeah, well I'm, I'm also going to come after him. Cause if you are, I am too. And so she comes at him and they were already stressed out because that your mom and dad's puppies were running loose and, and there's never any issue there, but you got two little puppies that are causing havoc around him and running around and stuff. And those puppies do. And she comes at Kaiser kind of, kind of little snippy. And he's like, all right, that's it. And they get into it. And so some of you have looked around at the meme of the a nativity scene and it's a white looking nativity scene. And it's supposed to be Mary and, and Joseph praying, but it looks like two T-Rexes that are on their back legs in combat. <laughs> that's kind of what this looked like. Like they were on back, their back legs up in the air going at each other. And instinctively, we're trying to pull them apart. I grab Mika by the collar. I throw her to the side. They she, had their e-collars on, and I had it cranked up to like 75 and was yeah, hitting them, and they were working. just, it would, they were like, just ignoring no, it. We're finishing this. And I grab Mika and throw her to the side, and she comes back at him like a magnet, just pow. And I told Janelle, I was like, you know what? Back off. Let them work it out. They have to work this out. Because if we get in the middle of it, it's just going to prolong it. And what was interesting about that fight, and you'll notice this, if your dogs get into it and there's a dominance thing going on, if dominance is involved, you're not seeing the dogs go for the throat. They're not trying to kill the other dog. Um, At least I don't think that's the general way they do it. (laughs) What they're doing instead is they're trying to go for the top of the neck and the top of the head and the muzzle to prove dominance. And so we back off and this just goes. By the time it's done, Mika's head looks like it has gone through a car wash. (laughs) Kaiser is dry as a bone. You know who won that. She immediately knows, I have lost. I am second in command. I accept that. She hides behind me. Then she takes her head and she puts it between the chair at the back of a chair and the wall so she can't see him. And he goes up to her and it's like he has had enough. He goes up to her air humps her and then he stands next to her and takes his head and goes whoop across her back like i told you once i'm telling you for once and for all she also he also bit the crown of her nose yes like bit down on it and then air humped her again yeah like he did all in about 10 seconds yeah everything that you a dog would do to prove dominance happened in 10 seconds (laughs) and he was he it's like he had had enough and that was it and they didn't come out of that unscathed because she had a little bit of a um like it had put, taken a little bit of fur off her arm, off of her uh, leg. She had a little scratch that was, it was actually yeah, bleeding. She but bled. I had bl- a little bit of blood on my hand. And I'm like, where'd this come from? And um, then I look over at Kaiser and he's got a little puncture mark in his leg. He's not bleeding though, but it was enough to where he must have tried to pull away and it must have, um, I don't know if hyperextended or it pulled something. I, don't, I think it was a pressure, like one of those, because she yeah. probably clamped down pretty good, but his leg was really swollen. Yeah, he, he swelled up pretty good and he, he cried whenever you touch it because it swelled up. We thought, oh man, we don't have something broken, do we? But anyway, he was fine next day. He was working around on it and the, two days later, he's totally fine. There's no issue at all. He's good. But um, I've noticed there hasn't been as big of an issue between the two of them now mm-hmm. because he finally put his foot down. Anyway, we're on the way home after all this is done, and uh, oh, we, we got it. 
before we're home, the whole mud thing. Oh, yeah. So You slept through that. I did. You had the mud thing going on. Um, they both had to get baths, but because the, the hose is a toy to Kaiser, mm-hmm. um, giving him a bath with a hose does not work. Mm-hmm. Well, they had gotten so muddy running the fence with the neighbor dog, it was it was dripping off. Of, it wasn't quite as bad as Bentley sitting in the mud puddle. Oh, my goodness. But um, he was a little mud ball. But it was definitely too bad to get in the van. And this is like maybe an hour before, hour, an hour and a half before we were planning mm-hmm. on taking off. So Nick had gone and taken a nap so that he would be fresh. For yeah, because the, the food knocked home. me out. I didn't want to crash on the way home. And so they were outside running, and finally I called them over because I realized that they were really getting muddy. And Dad got the hose out and was trying to spray them off. Well, then Kaiser got it was fun, and then Dad liked it because it was fun to watch Kaiser do it because mm-hmm. he goes after the water and just like. So then I was trying to give him a bath and bathe him off and rinse him off, and Dad had gotten me shampoo and all the things. And I couldn't get him to stop because he was playing with that hose and that hose was fun. Mm-hmm. So I drug him in and everything, like he was still trying to play. And I was so frustrated. Mom said all she heard when I come flying through the door with one German shepherd making Mika stay outside. One man, I was like, I'm going to kill me two German shepherds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I went into the bathroom and we both tried to go through the door at the same time. And mom had these cute little things hanging on the wall that were glass. The door slammed into it, totally crushed it. And then I'm standing, I get Kaiser in the bathtub and I'm standing in there crying, mm-hmm. saying, I'm so sorry. And I, mom's like, don't cry. I think that's mainly what woke me up because I was laying in there and also I hear this glass. <laughs> and then I hear, oh, honey, don't cry. And the part of me was like, Nick, stay where you're at. It's not good in there. <laughs> don't go in there. And the part of me was like, I wish he'd just wake up and help me with this. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, so about an hour and a half later, they both so. got baths. Yeah. And they were crated. <laughs> so the crated, they got Kaiser gone potty, and then we load them up in the van. We're headed home. We're going through Amish country. And everything's fine, but Kaiser keeps whining. He's just, just whining. It's like, Kaiser, stop. Just just lay down. Because sometimes he'll do that when we start out on a trip because he's just he's just mouthy like that. We kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. All of a sudden he stops doing it. And this horrible smell hits. Mind you, thank the Lord, we've got these blank, these cheapo little blankets you can buy dirt cheap at Walmart, and we get them for such an occasion. They're laying back there for them to sleep on, so that way fur didn't get all over the van. And um, Mika is looking at me in the rearview mirror, and she's frantically looking at me in the mirror and down, at me, down, at me, down. And she's looking at something like, hey, uh, there's something wrong back here. You need to look at this, because she can't lay down now because somebody had <laughs> diarrhea on the floor and on those blankets. We pull over to this little gas station, and she takes the dogs out. They knocked me over. Yeah, it was awful. At that point, I wanted to put a sign out that said free dogs um, or toss them in the dumpster with the trash. <laughs> and um, I, I'm pulling the blankets out. Some of the diarrhea falls out there on the plastic, on the, the van. I've got diarrhea on my hands. Folks, it was a really bad trip home. It was bad. Uh, finally got it cleaned up. Like When I say it fell out, like it was just on the plastic there, and a little bit got on the back of the, of the seat there. Cleaned it up. It was fine. So anyway, uh, it was just a, a crazy. And if you hear them arguing in the background, it's because she has a toy. Listen to this. You hear that? So she has a toy. He wants it. And she'll go up and shove it in his face and say, you want this, don't you? And then he tries to get it, and she goes, oh, no, you can't have it. Anyway, that's a daily thing. Um, so the uh, we got home, and it was just it was just a wild weekend. It really was just kind of a <laughs> wild weekend. But anyway, so um, we made it unscathed. We're fine. We're back. We're in one piece. We've made it through the work week. We got Friday. Yay. Um, the reason why I wanted to kind of talk uh, today, some of you uh, – Maybe you've come across my Facebook, um, and, and I shared it out onto the Beyond the Val, but there was a, I didn't know I was going to write that much. And after I posted it, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, my. It's a bit much. Um, but um, I had written on living in a religious bubble. And um, we even talked today about some other things that have been happening and how bubbles really, social bubbles really are, are kind of a bad thing sometimes. Let me, let me just kind of start here. So, um, you know, if you haven't read what I wrote on Facebook, you don't have to after this because this is going to be in podcast form and it's probably easier to listen than 
have to sit there and go through a whole document and read it. Although it was very well written. It's, it's a lot. And I didn't know it was going to be so much. Um, anyway, so I had done some thinking and, um, you know, when Facebook came along, we all were, you know, MySpace was around as well. Uh, but Facebook really became popular and you have this ability to prune your friend your friends list. Only people that you know can, um, contact you and be a friend of yours. You can give them access to your profile and all that stuff. And uh, the same way you can prune your friends list, you can also prune your Facebook feed. So anything that you don't like, you don't have to let in. So um, if I'm a, uh, if I like um, Fox News, I'm not going to let CNN stuff come through. If I like CNN, I'm not going to let Fox News stuff come through. If I like Trump, I'm going to let pro-Trump stuff come through. If I like Biden, I'm only going to let pro-Biden stuff come through. So it works that way. Inadvertently, what happens is you end up isolating yourself uh, because you create this bubble where you're surrounded by your voice, the voices of the people you allow in, and the voices of the information that you allow in. And you can create a false sense of security. You can create a false sense of majority even. Um, and you can really, it can cause some problems over time. Um, and the, the, the reason that I say that is, uh, and the one, the one example I gave is there was a Facebook group that I was a part of um, one time. And uh, it was a religious group. There was a guy who was a minister. I guess he was kind of a minister. And um, the conversation came down on divorce and remarriage. And we both had differing opinions. And um, I had scripture from my point, And um, he didn't provide any... I don't... Anyway, we, we were different in mm -hmm. our approach. And uh, because I voiced my opinion in an open-air forum there, he kicked me out and banned me from it and told me that if I retracted what I said, then he'd allow me back in. And I wasn't going to do that because I had scripture and it was my point of view there. Um, and so he never let me back in and I never tried to get in either. Um, and so what happens is you, you go through this process where in his case, it was something negative that he heard. He didn't want to hear it and it was gone. Okay. Um, in our situations, even in like we grew up, I you grew up Midwest Pilgrim. I grew up Bible Methodist, Tennessee, and they're very closed. They're very closed knit groups, all under the arching umbrella, overarching umbrella of the conservative holiness movement, which we're going to call a very you know a bubble. Inside that bubble, you have the different CHM denominations and and churches and things like that, and it's very controlled. Um, and over the years. Uh, those of you uh, who grew up in the conservative holiness movement, and I'm going to say probably a lot of you did, um, you're going to hear, you will have heard lots of different sermons on things, um, you know, um, uh, women's hair, uh, skirt length, short sleeves, jewelry, um, wedding rings, huge, huge, still big today. Uh, television, um, you know, one guy in West Virginia preached that, uh, I think he was in the CHM as well. Yeah, actually, someone told me about this story that they had heard him say that. Um, it was a sin for you to even look at the televisions in the airport terminals. And, and that would be preached from the platform. So what happens is the CHM is full of this um, element where um, things are preached on and they're pruned out. They're, they're bad, they're wrong, you don't do them, get rid of them. So they're, they're chopped out. And the group becomes so isolated um, away from everything else. It has removed things. It has removed even people it doesn't agree with um, until it's surrounded by only yes men or yes women and um, only things it wants to hear, only ideas that it agrees with. Um, and there, there's a danger that can exist in that uh, because it has tended to isolate itself from the rest of the Christian community. Um, and, and what can happen is many within the CHM will feel, and I, someone posted this, uh, I read the post, they said uh, they weren't going to leave their denomination because they felt like their denomination was most doctrinally sound. Well, somebody else is going to say the same thing. What gives you the right to say that? But you're in your bubble and you feel, this is the way, I know the way. You're like, Mando, this is the way. 
And uh, you feel like this is the only way. This is the this is how it's going to go. This is all I know. And I'm surrounded by other people that are also doing it, so it must be right. And the way that the conservative holiness movement has functioned is it has reached a point where it is assumed that it is the only way, that it is the correct way, mm-hmm. and it's kind of at the top. And anybody else out there must be either backslidden, they're, they're lost completely, or they're just less spiritually mature. So what happens when um, Asbury kicks off, Asbury Revival kicks off, and fifty to 70,000 people come into that little town of Wilmore, and they're completely swamped. There's a revival that goes on for 24 hours a day in different chapels, uh, literally on different parts of the street. And um, they're having to direct traffic, all this stuff. People are being saved. There's um, uh, just wonderful things that are taking place. But yet there's people in the CHM that get confused about this. And you start hear rumblings of, um, is that really real? Is that really legit? Look at the way those people are dressed. The music that they're playing up there on that platform. How can that really be of God? Is that really of God? And um, they start to, there's a, and I said this in my little article, that there's a, there's a sense of jealousy on the bottom of it. Almost as if God is specifically reserved for the people in the CHM because they feel they are at the pinnacle mm-hmm. of maturity with God. And everyone else is under that. I watched a video. There's a girl. You can Google it if you want. It's on YouTube. Or you can YouTube it. Um, Gracie Carr. Um, I think now she's actually, her last name is Hobbs. And I think she's actually a, um, I think she's married and sings with a, a group now. Young kid at a, uh, a Victory Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. And uh, she sang um, His Life for Mine. The, uh, you watch that and you can't get through it with a, without your eyes being wet. Um, she starts to sing this song. And it's a Baptist church. The people do not look holiness. They're just Baptist people, Christian people. And um, she starts to sing this song. She gets through it. Before you know it, people are shouting, running the aisles. There's crippled people in crutches uh, and, and walkers in wheelchairs coming up to the, the altar for prayer. People are going to the altar. People are waving their hands or shouting, and the Spirit is moving freely. You know it's not... It's not the devil because the devil doesn't want people at the altar. He doesn't want people to get help. He doesn't want people healed. He doesn't want people saved. He doesn't want people made whole. So if it isn't Satan, then who is it? What has to be God? Remember, Jesus is with the disciples, and the disciples see someone else preaching, and they go, hey, tell him to stop. And Jesus says, no, don't tell him to stop. If he's not against us, he's for us, or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. And... The CHM has gotten to the point, I, I feel, where um, it is so surprised by outward movements of God, um, it wonders, why in the world is God not moving with us? Why is God moving with somebody else? And the, the, the one point that I made was, I thank God that, he's not, that the CHM does not have a monopoly on God. I'm thankful it doesn't have a monopoly on him. God is much bigger than the conservative holiness movement. True. It would like you to think that he revolves specifically around it. But I'm going to tell you something, and it was actually a sermon James Plank did. He was critical of the holiness congregations. He said, and because he addressed, this is a couple months back, whenever uh, Asbury was kicking off or going off, he was at his church in Beavertown. And in one of his sermons, he said something to the effect that he's like, uh, you know, we're wondering why this isn't happening with the holiness uh, churches. And he's like, well, we're having trouble even filling the pews. And people coming out on Sunday night, or however he worded it, and he started being critical of the holiness people that they weren't doing as they should be doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that's good that he's doing that um, because I think that what has happened is the the one way that the holiness crowd has really differentiated itself from everybody else is how it looks. That is what it understands as the true definition of holiness is the look. Mm-hmm. And how have you done that? By how the women have looked. It has looked at its women, and it has looked at its men with them, and it, the, the dress code has become the symbol of holiness. I've met some people in the holiness movement that have been some of the nastiest people you could ever meet, yep. yet they look so conservative on the outside, but they're missing the Christ-like characteristics inside that the guy at the Baptist church has. Yeah. I was... Um it was, 
when COVID was getting better, but church wasn't still quite open yet, mm-hmm. I was attending online and there was a gentleman that was a very nasty sort, but but lauded to be this very deeply spiritual, always being asked to pray, mm-hmm. um, just this very, but he was a viper right? anywhere else. The preacher, there was a guest speaker and he was preaching and I knew that he was hitting a point that this guy did not agree with. Mm-hmm. And I swear you could see the frown on the back of his head. I text mom who was at the, you know, listening online at the same time. And she <laughs> said, did you see? She's like, yep, I can see the frown from here. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that terrible though? That you have, and, and this is what has happened with the conservative holiness movement. Um, the, and I talked about this a while back, but I'll just reiterate it. The, the Bible Methodist as a whole, like Heartland, um, Great Lakes or whatever, the conglomerate, um, that the large, the large Bible Methodist connection, not, not Tennessee, but the, the whole Alabama mm-hmm. and now they've got like Southwest, all that. They're very proud of the fact that they're growing. Uh, but part of the reason they are growing is they start to assimilate a lot of fractured elements from other broken denominations. And I know that for a fact because it's in their magazine uh, from like July of like 22 or something like that. And uh, they were assimilating like seven or eight churches from another group. And I, th- I want to say maybe a couple more also joined from that group. But it was a result. I could be wrong. Somebody could set me straight. It was like the result of a split of a split. Mm. And you have people with these opinions that are m- many times man-made. And, and there is, there's, there's bickering, there's infighting, and the, the, the movement, in a way, is blowing itself apart because, as the Bible Methodist put it, I believe it was something along the lines of they were the only one that was positively growing, like the only denomination that was positively growing. And I thought to myself, but for how long until somebody else stands up and says, I don't agree with that? Right. And then half the churches say, yeah, we're going to go with you. And it blows apart because, man, that's how Satan works. He just detonates everything. Mm-hmm. And see what Satan is doing. He's, he's, he's grabbing everybody and putting them into one pot. Because then it's easier to blow the whole thing up rather than having to pull people from all over. Everybody's trying to gravitate. And that's why they said, oh, this is the greatest attendance that they've had, close to 5,000 people at the, at the IHC this year. Well, go figure. You assimilated part of another denomination that may have had nothing to do with the IHC up until this point, and here they come, and their people are coming. Yeah. And their kids are going to start going to the, to the colleges. You're going to start to see an initial boost and probably an enrollment. And so this all trickles down, and you're picking up fragments, if you will, from other groups. But they're all under the same bubble. And that bubble finds it very hard to believe, I be- that God is moving outside. Because let me tell you something. If you, can, if, you, if you can say God is at a Baptist church, he's healing at a Baptist church, he's blessing at a Baptist church, people are spiritually mature at a Baptist church, what does that make the holiness church? What does that make the CHM? It's on an even playing field then. It's not, there's nothing special about it. Mm-hmm. It's just a little group that has weird ways, and that's all it is. Going back, though, onto the definition of what holiness is, um, I like what Webster has to say in the, in, in the combination thereof of the, um, the King, King James Version uh, definition of it. It says, a, holi- a, a holiness is a holy or sanctified state. The state of being holy, purity, or integrity of moral character, freedom from sin, sanctity, applied to the supreme being, holiness denotes perfect purity or integrity of moral character, one of his essential attributes. And I think what has happened is you go through the, uh, the version of holiness that the CHM kind of practices, and it has turned from a focus of that inward Christ-like character to an outward requirement. And they'll argue with, oh, no, that's not. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because you're not going to, you're there not going to. If somebody comes in uh, and, and they're wearing a wedding band or maybe they, they, uh, they wear a short sleeve shirt or, to, to, or wherever, I guarantee you at some point somebody's going to say something. Right. Somebody's going to say something and that person will eventually leave or be forced to leave or they're, or they're going to go someplace else or run off, whatever. Uh, because I've known people it's happened to. And uh, you're, you're going to say something. 
Well, I was just going to say that those are the kinds of things that should be left to the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. because your conviction is not going to be the same. Just because I can wear a wedding band doesn't mean the next person could because, again, God knows what's going to trip us up down the road. I'm going to also point out this. Um, What's her name? Stetler. What's her name? Uh, Daniel Stetler's wife. Um, Oh, I don't know. She's the one who usually gets on bringing holiness, and she's very combative. Well, she's not combative, but she's she's very uh, adamant about the stuff that she she defends and whatnot. And a mm-hmm. lot of times, it's just she's an error in a lot of stuff. But anyway, um, Mrs. Stetler. Yes, I'll just call her that. <laughs> Bless her. Anyway, seems like a very sweet lady, but she she many times gets behind the wrong argument, and um, she'll sometimes throw around things about jewelry and whatnot, and she takes scripture completely out of context. And she'll throw this out there and try to defend it. And it's like she's not done the research. But they'll, they'll sit there with an opinion that's been preached from the pulpit for so long, and they just can't let go of it. And that's why, like, Hillbilly Broadcast had this uh, contest. And one of the sayings that we that was so good was uh, something along the lines that the CHM has become slaves to the traditions of dead people. Mm-hmm. And it literally has. And the same opinions these people preached and taught on that, no matter how wrong they may be, continues to be regurgitated in a lot of circles. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And so what happens is you have many of these people inside this bubble and they feel that they've become so holy, even though their definition of holiness in many cases has, has become altered into more of an external look, uh, a definition of holiness is external, it's kind of what they may be seeing. Um, they feel that anyone else is subpar based on the look. Mm-hmm. And so when a Baptist church has the spirit moving, they can't accept that. When Asbury University College has a revival going on for two weeks, and some of it's 24 hours a day, they really can't accept that. Because if it's legit, it puts them at the same level. And you can't have that because they're supposed to be better. The CHM is supposed to be higher. It's supposed to be more mature. It's supposed to be closer to God. But what if God's moving in these other places and not the CHM? There's a problem. Well, they can't. God can't move in the, in the CHM because they put him so far into a box that no one can... They've taken it upon themselves to be the Holy Spirit, and yes. he can't move. The Holy Spirit would like to change the hearts of man, but many times man gets in the way. Case in point, Holiness Church, I preached that one time. Gentleman sat in the back. A new family came in, got saved. The first thing he did is he came the next day, and he had a sermon, CD, or something from the IHC, gave it to him. And it was all about uh, how you should dress and this and that and whatever. It never came back. Because it was too much too soon. He ran them off. He got in the way of the Holy Spirit, and he ruined that. He probably thought he was doing something good, but he wasn't. He wasn't. Preach the relationship. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. Yes. Yes. And But, but what has happened here is that um, the CHM hears its own voice and the voices around it within that bubble, and it thinks it is so correct that when it starts to see God moving on the outside of the bubble, it's surprised, it's jealous, it's hurt maybe even offended, how God can be moving out there. Church we go to is, uh, would you say it's... Would, I feel like it's the middle of the road. Like, it's the middle of the road. It's not a holiness church. It's not a Baptist church. It's kind of in the middle. And uh, You know, they have they have people that I have full confidence in that wear pants, that cut yeah. their hair, and I can't say anything. I don't wear pants because it's just what my we don't figure do. is not conducive to pants. Anyway, um, skirts hide a multitude of sins. Um <laughs> but I mean, they may not dress like a holiness church, but you go in there and you feel a spirit in there. And if I can guarantee you that most of the women that are in that church, I'm going to say this because the women are where the standards show That's generally exact, well, because yeah. it's our hair that is down or trimmed right. or cut. And I keep my hair trimmed. Right. There was a time that God said, no, right. he lifted that. He lifted that because of my attitude changed. My hair gets trimmed to keep it healthy. Mm-hmm. But some people style their hair and they do a stylish cut. I just trim it just because I like my curls. But do I think that these people that do the things that are different from what I would do are, you know, they're on a slippery slope, slope straight to hell? No. No, because that church is moving mm-hmm. and that church has things happening and they have like, was it Sunday testified or uh, a couple weeks ago? Um, 
where oh, a lady yeah, had been yeah. healed. Yeah. Like God doesn't do that if if there's right. not if he's not welcome in, yeah. in that place. And I think um, I'm not saying that holiness churches can't have that happen anymore, but the, I feel like they need to become more malleable. They become so stiff that if they're God trying can't. to bend to a different yeah. point of view, they snap instead of actually bend and make it flexible. They become so rigid. So the first thing they do is if you say, well, maybe when it comes to a lot of the man-made things that are preached on that, and, and they, you know, you'll question these things and they'll start snapping at you about compromise has nothing to do with compromise, has everything to do with holding to the old timers traditions. And it's the same thing as the Amish because the Amish, they said, uh, well, we do it as our fathers have done it before us. That's their whole motto. Mm -hmm. They won't break it because the fathers did it. And, um, Getting back to that church we go to, it, it's so amazing because literally they had a woman, I may have mentioned this before, but they had a woman and her hand was paralyzed. She was going to Cleveland Clinic. She went to the church there. Um, they had her come up and pray, or they had her come up and they laid hands on her and they prayed for her. And uh, she went to Cleveland Clinic and the guy did an MRI or looked at her hand and he said, I don't think I'm ever going to have to see you again. He said, you're fine. And she came to church. She waved her hand in the air and praised the Lord and the paralysis was gone, completely healed. Another woman stood up and testified. They had done a check of her spine and she had lesions on her spine. They prayed for her. She went back to the hospital. They checked her spine. The lesions were gone. And the doctor said, what's going on? I don't understand that. If God isn't present, then what is that? Mm -hmm. But yet people get saved. I mean, that even people touched a little close to home for us too. Yes. Because we had, I have a friend of mine that had a baby and yes. it was in NICU. Yes. And they put her, they put that kid on the prayer chain there. And guess what? He went home fit as a fiddle. There is power and in prayer, we, especially from godly people. Yeah. And the CHM thinks it has a monopoly on that. It does not. And most of the people that go to our church would be stared at, judged, and never used in a holiness church. No, they would not. But you know who would use them? God. And he is using them. Because the holiness movement has set itself in such of a pedal where it's like us four no more. It's us at the IHC and no more. It's us in our churches and no more. We are at the pinnacle of spiritual maturity. And God's like, no, you're not. I'm using other people because you've got too much pride. Because you're too stiff. Because you're not, you're not malleable. You don't want to move. And you think you're there and you're on a cruise control for heaven when you've got internal issues you need to deal with. And their version of, hol of holiness has become a, a hollowness because they look the part on the outside, but on the inside, they're, they're lacking, the, many of the people there are lacking the, the characteristics of Christ. Why? Because you go in there and you get judged for how you look because that's how they, that's how they analyze you. It's not about uh, how your prayer life's going or your, your relationship with Christ or the fruits of the Spirit. It's about how you look. How long is your skirt? How long is your sleeves? You got any rings on? You got any necklaces on? You trimming your hair? You got any makeup on? You, you put any polish on your nails? Uh, uh, or as Judy Williams used to preach, buttons or the, the third-placed eyebrow she called really mustache. She, was, she preached on mustaches, uh, poofy sleeves. And you have that through the movement for decades. Mm -hmm. It has done irreparable damage because people go, this is stupid. Why do I want to stay here? And so now you have people leaving because the CHM wants to defend those positions. They, even though they don't have scripture to back it up and people are like, well, why should I go here and worship God through your stained glass window? You know what the millennials brought huh. to the world and to the CHM? Huh. Questioning. They did. That's exactly where that started. Yes. Because up until the millennials, and I hate that my birth date falls just inside of the millennial. Mm -hmm. um, but because, but I'm, but they did they, because they questioned things and they, they found answers for themselves they instead did. of just taking what the uh, person before them. I sat there in a service. Miller Downing was preaching and Miller Downing was preaching that it was a sin for a woman to wear her hair down. And he said that if you wore your hair down, you look like a witch. And uh, he's a look at, he's a look, he's a look at him. He's a looking like witches peeking at you through their bangs. And I turned around and looked at this one girl who was a friend of mine. And I looked at her and I thought, she's not a witch. And on the way home, I said, mom, is that in the Bible? And it prompted a discussion. And guess what we started to do? We started to dig. We started going to the Greek and the Hebrew, and we found out he was wrong. And we started to do that, apply that method to other preachers, and we started to find out that they were wrong about things. And then we started to realize you can't depend on man for your scripture. You depend on scripture for scripture. 
and you look, you get yourself and you, uh, uh, Strong's concordance or whatever, and you want to look up different words in, in the in the Hebrew, or the Greek, and know what this stuff means. Go for it. And you know, a good illustration of what is kind of going on in the CHM with regards to kind of how it looks down on other groups around it, and it likes to think of itself as like, oh, we are the only ones, and we are the ones that everybody's against us, and we are because we are the, 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 the mighty few that God approves of, and blah, blah, blah. You look over in 1 Corinthians 9 through 19, or 9, 19 through 23, and I won't read the whole thing, but Paul talks about how when the gospel came, it was presented. Um, he says uh, in verse, I'll read a couple verses, for verse 19, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might, get, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, mean not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak. And he talks about how he came to the, about, uh, eventually I believe it talks about, comes to the Gentiles. And this whole thing comes up because uh, they all get together to eat. And Peter's there and he's rubbing shoulders with the Gentiles. He's having a good time. He's talking to Gentiles. Now, you got two drastic elements here. You have the Jews and the Gentiles who have completely different backgrounds. The, the, the Jews were in their own bubble. The gospel came to them. They rejected it, and that bubble got busted when Christ died, and it got expanded. Uh, to, the gospel message was handed out to the Gentiles as well. They were included. So guess what? The gospel is now spreading to the Gentiles, not only the Jews. Peter's here. And Peter, a devout Jew, he has started to relax a little bit when it comes to some of the Jewish customs. Because guess what? He's rubbing shoulders with unclean Gentiles, and he's eating with them. Then guess what? People from the Jewish church, or I believe it was the Jewish church or other areas, show up, and he feels pressure, and he's like, oh, I can't be with them. They're unclean. People might start saying stuff about me. So guess what? He starts eating with the Jews only, and uh, it creates a bit of a hubbub because it causes other people that were mixing with the Gentiles to side to the Jews, and it splits them. Jews, Gentiles. Same body of Christ, divided in half. Because one thinks they're better than the other. One thinks they're more clean than the other. And so... Paul gets up and criticizes him publicly about it and, and tells him that doesn't work. And there were three points that I presented, um, I'd done some research, and I presented that, number one, the whole reason that Peter got in trouble was, one, it made it look as if the Jewish Christians were the only true Christians. Secondly, it tended to isolate both the Gentiles and the Jews from each other, as well as create animosity between them. And that's evident when you see people talking smack about people at Asbury and saying, why is God moving with them and not us? Well, that can't be really true. That can't. They they're not having true revival. Yeah. This is pretend. They're less they're mature than us. On. Yeah. And then point three, it created an unnecessary path back into legalism. So, the whole, my my the reason I'm bringing this up is to say that the conservative holiness movement has a problem. It feels like it's strong. It feels like it's doing great because it proclaims it from a platform right now at the IHC, where it's gathered together, hearing only its voice. And it feels like it's healthy. It feels like it's great. But is it really? Is it really? Because a few weeks ago, I'm hearing criticism from James Plank to the congregation about how, hey, there's no revival. Well, maybe it's because you're not coming to the church. Maybe it's because you're not moving like you should, yada, yada, yada. There's rumblings going on. Hey, why, why, why aren't we having revivals like that? And you know what? I will say that you know, maybe if you're as close to God as you should be, maybe you don't need a revival, but maybe God would like to move in you also differently than other people. God, you know, I was talking to somebody today. It was like, why isn't that a friend of mine? And he listens to this podcast. He'll know I'm talking about what we discussed. I won't use his name, but he said there was a church that he knew of. And he said, this church was completely different than the one he goes to. He said, the pastor used an NIV. He was dressed in slacks, like jeans and a t-shirt kind of thing. He said that they listened to contemporary music. Every bit of it was different than the traditional background he had. And his mom gets a phone call um, uh, sometime later of a friend of theirs who said, hey, I got saved at this church. And he said, it hit him like, wait, how did this guy get saved at that church? I didn't, how's that possible? the NIV can still be used to save people. Because God uses different things to save people. I don't care if a church maybe is, uh, can the argument be made that maybe one church is a little bit less spiritually mature than another? Yeah. Across the board, that's not the case with all of them. You know, some are, well, no, I'll say that all churches can be different. Mm -hmm. They can be different. But the Bible says God's word doesn't return void. 
So when he sits there and, and the gospel message is proclaimed, it can save anybody. But I guarantee you, you know, he was honest about it. He said, I was like, how can God be moving there? It's such a simple message. The guy's not wearing a suit. They're playing, current, uh, they're playing contemporary music. How is that possible? God saved regardless. Regardless. And it shows that we have to be so careful that we don't allow our bubble of denominations and churches to shield us from God's movement and other denominations and other churches. I think denominations in many ways is one of the worst things. It's like political parties. You know, think about what America would be like if it was actually unified. But the greatest thing that a lot of the, the, the evil people out there did was dividing America into Republicans and Democrats. Because guess what? It's never truly unified. It's always half of the country against the other. It's red versus blue. That's how it's always going to be, conservative versus liberal. It's always going to be fighting it, fighting each other, and, and, and just, you know, people upset at each other, angry at each other. And, and people are out of touch. They get out of touch because they live inside their bubble. I, I was guilty of that, too. I was one of those people that I really thought Trump was going to be reelected. I really did. You know why? Because all the people in my feed were pro-Trump. I had a lot of conservative news sources that were coming through. It was all pro. Anytime you saw anything about Biden, it was making fun of him or it was making fun of his crowds. And then all of a sudden he wins. So you can imagine what happens to a lot of people that are conservative who go, how's that possible? Well, maybe it's because we blinded ourselves with our own propaganda. We were blind to what was happening outside. Look at the CHM. How is God moving there in Asbury? How's he moving in that Baptist church? How's he moving in Lucasville? How are people getting healed? How are people getting saved? How are people getting sanctified? Doesn't it just happen with us? Maybe you've blinded yourself with your own propaganda and your own external version of holiness. Look at what happened with the whole Budweiser thing. The, if there ever comes a day that a trans woman walks up and tries to hand me a tampon, that will be the day that you are truly embarrassed. <laughs> and, I'm not, and I'm not being transphobic because we are called to love all people. I'm not being transphobic. I'm not being homophobic. I'm just saying that there is a very real problem with a minority of that community. The, the issue you have, you have, and, and whether the media will say it or not, there is an attack on women so severe. Ugh. Men are infiltrating their sports. Men are being used in advertisements to model their, their, their bras, their clothing. And I sit there and look at this and go, what has happened to us where we are so messed up? Where we're running, I never knew that Dylan Mulvaney was, I didn't really know who he was. I'd seen his face here and there, maybe because YouTube would try to suggest a video, and I'm like, out of here. You know, <laughs> that was one of the things I didn't want in my bubble, you know. <laughs> but uh, I would see it, and then when I saw this whole Budweiser thing, all of a sudden Budweiser, it came out in an article, they're, they're looking at a forecast of like negative $5 billion in revenue now because people aren't buying their beer. They're calling it the trans beer. They don't want anything to do with it. Do with it. Those poor Budweiser um, Clydesdales are going to lose their job. Well, well, here's the deal. And, and a lot of it, the people are upset because of the war on women. It's true. Yeah. Because you're trying to say a man who pretends to be a woman is better than a woman. Yeah. You even have members of the, I've, and again, this is TikTok, and, but it, it's like a legit thing. Um, you have members of the trans community that are coming against these, mm -hmm. the ones that are in... Um, the limelight and doing these things. And you know, the, these guys that are talking about, I had a period pain today. You did not, you might've pulled your groin, but you did not have a period. Yeah, pain. It's just, it is, it has gone so far. And the reason I bring this up is because Dylan Mulvaney and a lot of those people live within their own bubble. And that bubble is honestly a very small minority, but it has a very loud voice. And mm -hmm. it's very loud because it's in media, it's in newspapers, it's on the internet. They've got big YouTube channels. They try to be influencers and they all hear what each other's saying. And everybody's yell yelling real loud, hey, it's okay, this is great. And then all of a sudden, you have different uh, companies like Budweiser who also hears maybe a little bit of that voice and says, oh, it sounds like they're the majority. Let's sign Dylan Mulvaney to a deal. And then all of a sudden, you're minus $5 billion in revenue. And people are mad. And so it's because you're out of touch. There was four. Um, there were four companies that used um, Dylan Mulvaney for their ads. Mm -hmm. um, Nike, Budweiser. That was honestly. Alta. Yeah. And Kate Spade. Yeah. And all four of those companies have pulled the ads that had and the products that had him yeah. on on it because these are the beer's not very woman, but you know. Um, 
Kate Spade is very much a female thing. Yeah. Alta is very much a female thing. Right. Not what he was sporting for Nike Sports bras was stuff. very female yeah. oriented. Like uh, you're taking away the things that make us unique. And there are a lot of women that are up and then they're getting called homophobe and tra- um, trans- transphobic. And it's not the case. It's really not the case. Yeah. It's just that there is actually a war on women right now. And there I don't is. jump into that feminism and all of that very often, but yeah. this is one thing that actually really does make me livid. Yeah. And, and it is so, I had never seen the ads for Nike, but I was like, why are they talking about him and Nike? And I clicked on it. And honestly, I was, it was just kind of sickening. And, uh, if I offend somebody out there who's listening to this, then, then so be it. But I'm going to tell you something. We've gone way too far because at what point do you draw the line? How far do you want to go with this to where you start to what wipe away the identity of women? You got men out there who are breaking women's records and swim meets and other things like that because they're transitioning over to be a woman. And you're where it's, it's like, I don't, it blows my mind. God gave males more strength, more physical strength than women for a reason. It's it's almost like they're kind of like, uh, I don't know. It's like I don't know. I don't. I don't know. have an answer. I for don't it. know. And I'm gonna just throw this out there. You go back to the old ancient Hebrew historians, and there's an actual text, and I forget what it's called, but it goes way back several thousand years. A very ancient text. And it goes into what happened and what really, what one of the things that caused the flood. We can go into the whole thing about the Nephilim, the giants, and all that. But it also talks about how what happened, and it said that the men began to marry men and the women began to marry women. And it said at that point is when God pulled the plug on the world. That's an old, several thousand year old document that said that. And I thought, ooh, if that's true, man, we're getting close. We're getting awful close. The reason we bring this up is because Dylan Mulvaney and a lot of those people were, within, were inside their bubble, and they were loud. They only heard was their voices that supported them. They heard their own voice, and they thought that, well, we're the majority. And then they realized, no, because there's a whole lot of other people outside your bubble. Yeah. And a lot of them people were upset. And now it's starting to hit them in revenue, and I think Mulvaney has pulled a lot of his social media stuff, and a lot of things are starting to change because they're starting. even Disney has realized – People are not okay with that. They're not, they, here, I saw an article today. There was a drag show. They had guys in drag who were walking down a runway, and a man uh, pulled his pants down or pulled his skirt down or whatever and showed his part or did whatever. Um, I'm not going to go into specifics. Look for it if you want. But he exposed himself, and there were kids there, and they were having the kids throw money at the, at the, at the uh, guys in drag walking down. And I thought, how stupid are you? What You're grooming our kids. Yeah. You are. America is becoming so depraved. And if I have to get on my soapbox, I will. And if people don't want to drop our broadcast, they can. But I'm going to tell you something. We are godless now. We have fallen away from God. We are falling away from morality. We're falling away from anything that is anything. We're, we, are, we have lost ourselves. We can't even tell what bathroom we're supposed to go into. We are that confused. And you know what the Bible says? The devil is the author of confusion. And Satan is working overtime. It says that there are, pow- there are principalities and powers of darkness that are everywhere. And if you go through and you start to do your research, you find that different devils and demons are assigned different areas. And whoever is over America is doing a bang-up job because he is absolutely trashing this place. And it goes back to the holiness church. If there's any time that God needs to start a revival, the holiness church needs to wake up and start focusing on what's going on outside and not on what people look like and just be grabbing people no matter who they are or what they look like and getting them into church. Because that's another thing that happened is I go to a lot of these churches and I see everybody looks the same. Everybody looks conservative. Everybody sounds conservative. You'll find nobody who looks any different. And now they're starting to realize, oh, maybe we need an outreach. You think? Yeah, you need an outreach. You got to start grabbing people and bringing them in. But you got to not judge them as they come in the door. Exactly, and 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 that's what happens. You'll have some old person sitting in the back, and uh, you want to say this? There was a woman I knew was at a holiness church. She stood up and she praised the Lord and was shouting. A lady came back. She said, "Don't do that." She said, "You're scaring people." That's what happened. She never did it again. That's the kind of attitude. That resides, not always, 
You know, not everybody's against shouting in churches, but you'll have, hey, I don't want you wearing that ring. I don't want you wearing that, sh- that shirt. Uh, I, I, you, you, maybe you better not test. Maybe you better not do this or, or whatever. And we're so nitpicky and backbiting that the Holiness Church has literally just, it has put itself into a horrible position to where it'll get together once a year and it'll go, rah, 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 we're in great shape. And really, they're really not. Yeah. They're really not. It's sick. I don't mean that like as a bad thing. It's It's sick. It's got, a, it's got an issue. It's got an ailment. And it needs to fix it. It needs to sort it out. It needs to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It needs to be reaching out to people for the gospel, not judging them. But you got to be flexible. You have to be flexible without compromise. I'm not saying... Because... And I think this is where one of the probably the biggest um, area... It's like if people in the CHM see someone else being kind to someone who has an alternative lifestyle or has um, any other thing that they're doing, you know, lives with someone or um, any other thing Mm -hmm. that don't, if you see that person being, then you must agree with them. Mm -hmm. You can love someone. You can be kind to someone. Mm -hmm. You can associate with someone and not agree with them. Yeah. But, but but that's so cultivated, even through um, the, the Facebook. And you would, don't agree with them, kick them off the feed. Don't agree with them, get them off the ignore them, block them, get them off. And we're so into that. And the last thing you need to be doing is doing it religiously, doing it in a religious group. The last thing you want to do, be doing it is in the body of Christ, to where you're saying, well, you don't dress the way that I think you should dress, so I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Or God surely can't be using you because you just don't look the part. Well, maybe it's because you haven't looked in the mirror. You may not be the part that either you're lacking the characteristics of Christ. I go all the way down to this one verse that really sums it up. John 13, four, John 13, 34, a new command. I give you a new command. Oh, this is something different. That's what he's saying. This is something different. He says, a new command. I give you, Hmm. Basically listen up is what it says. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone, listen to this, by this, loving one another, that's what he's referring to, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, comma, if you love one another. Guess what? Holiness Church can't be us for no more. It can't hoard its people. And this is the one thing I've noticed. You go to a lot of these holiness churches and you'll see families that are there that are second and third generational that have just grown up in the church, had their kids, and they've grown up in the church, had kids, and they just keep going there. And sometimes they just kind of repopulate and replace people within the church, but there's rarely any outreach and there's people that are not really coming in mm-hmm. that are off the street or that are broken or have come from horrible homes. That's not happening as much anymore. And if they do come in, then they're not... I mean, I've watched it happen. Everybody kind of stays, yeah. shrinks away from them. They don't want to be around them. They might catch something. Like, yeah, it's it's what happens. And, uh, oh my word. You know, there's just so much that can be said for what, how Christians should behave and how they should act. And at the end of the day, God is going to use people who are willing to be used. God is going to use people who are flexible. God is going to use people who are available. And if you sit there and you feel you're high and mighty and you're already at the top of the food chain, guess what? God's not going to come to your door. He's not. A spirit that's restricted is not going to bring revival. It won't happen. And by that, I mean like churches starting to grow and the gospel starting to spread. And rather than people preaching their own agenda and just slamming other people and making sure that they abide by man-made Man preached, man created ideals and opinions from the pulpit, actually preaching scriptural holiness. We hear that term all the time, but it's abused. Scriptural holiness about the integrity, the moral character, the purity of an individual. Rather than saying, you got a beard, you're wearing a ring, your sleeves too, sleeves too short, you know, this and that. I was looking at a sermon James Plank did 11, 10 years ago as at the IHC. And he was sitting there and he was being critical about churches that had, uh, he said, oh, they may, he said, your church may have a PowerPoint projector, but not at Beavertown. Oh, we're, you know, we're not going to put words up on the wall. Oh no, we're going to use a, you know, we're going to use a hymn book and stuff like that. <laughs> they do it now. I'm pretty sure they do it now. IHC does it. They're broadcasting and all, all of a sudden people just start to, and over time there have been some changes maybe because they go, you know what? Maybe this ain't so bad. Maybe we're starting to hamper ourselves and we're starting to, to, to hurt ourselves here because what we're against, there's nothing, there's no reason for it. Mm-hmm. 
And I really think that at some point, people within the Holiness Church are going to have to sit down and they've got to analyze what they believe in and get that straightened out because you've got people internally that are leaving and are questioning and they're not getting answers. So they're going elsewhere to get answers. And um, the Holiness Church is just going to have to start bucking itself up and it's going to have to start reaching out to people. And it's going to have to start affiliating with the rest of the body of Christ because isolation never helped anyone. And at some point, it's going to blow apart because it's just a couple splits away from becoming insignificant. Mm -hmm. So, good grief. I didn't know we'd get into all that, but, (laughs) you know, at the end of the day, God loves everyone. And he loved them so much, he sent his son to die for them on a cross about 2,000 years ago, and Jesus paid the ultimate price. doesn't matter if you're black, white, poor, rich, gay, lesbian, transgender. Anybody can be saved. And when God saves you, there is a change that will come over you because all of a sudden the things of the world will look insignificant and they'll look ridiculous compared to what God has to offer you. And I know some people that are struggling right now because they try to logically come to terms with how God could give such a gift or how his son could do such a thing. Why die for me? How, how could he atone for my sins? And that's where faith comes in. All you have to do is believe. And that's the hardest part for some people is just believing, just believe. And God will supply you with the faith. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And John in Romans or John three sixteen says, God loved the world so much. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm glad we serve a God like that. And regardless of what the agenda is of the world today, and no matter what the Dylan McVaney's of the world try to do, or no matter what the, the, some of the cranky people or upset people or viper-like people in the Holiness Church may try to do, I'm glad Jesus Christ exists, and I'm glad he's on my side. And I'm glad I serve him. And uh, I'm glad I don't have a bubble like that. But that God is always welcome, and he's always free to move, and he's able to do whatever he wishes. I want to always be malleable for him. That's my point. That's my goal. Lord, make me Play-Doh. Put me in whatever shape you want. Anyway, anything else you want to discuss? Are we good? Yeah, I'm good. All right, folks. Glad you're able to come along. And I guess we'll chat at you later. All right. Have a great evening, and we'll see you later. Thanks. Thanks.